0: Let me tell you something, there is a full-out war going on on this subject right now. The bunch of filthy sodomite perverts, and if you don't like it, get out of here. They're at war with us tonight.
1: This is a video from YouTube of, believe it or not, a sermon from Steven Anderson. He's a pastor in Tempe, Arizona.
2: He's young, he's bearded, wearing a tie, working up a sweat, pretty much screaming at his audience. It's intense. He's pacing back and forth in front of a podium.
1: At one point, he even jumps up on the podium, raising his voice even more. He's vigorously wagging his finger.
0: You know what? We have hundreds of people, hundreds of people here that will not compromise, and if you're not one of them, then get out! I don't want to hang around with a bunch of fag hags and a bunch of queer baits and a bunch of effeminates. Get out! Look, no one in a million years would have thought when I was a child that our country would have ever
2: exist. Stephen Anderson uploads his sermons online several times a week, sometimes multiple times a day. The one we're watching right now has over 70,000 views. It doesn't have any ads running before it or beside it.
1: But a couple of weeks ago, reporters for the Times of London were watching another YouTube video from the same pastor. And they saw, right next to him, an ad from the cosmetics maker L'Oreal, promoting a British charity.
2: Obviously not the kind of thing L'Oreal would want to be associated with.
1: The newspaper found several other ads from household names running on videos like one from an Egyptian cleric who'd been banned from the UK for terrorism. There was one from David Duke, a former Ku Klux Klan leader. The pastor Stephen Anderson, his videos appeared next to ads from Nissan and The Guardian newspaper.
2: When the Times called these advertisers, several of them said they were shocked and they immediately yanked their ads from YouTube.
1: And over the past two weeks, that story has exploded into a crisis for the world's largest video service and its owner, Google. Mark Bergen.
2: And this week on Decrypted, we're plunging into one of the thorniest issues in the modern internet. How do you police the unwieldy, ever-expanding mess that's the World Wide Web?
1: And what can Google, a company that believes in letting nearly anything and everything live online, do about it? Can they keep their paying advertisers away from the internet's darkest corners?
2: Stay with us as we take you on a tour of the latest attempts to apply artificial intelligence, to solve Google's crisis.
1: At stake here is the future of online advertising, which is the fuel for the internet. Google and another rival, Facebook, have taken more and more of the share of all the advertising dollars spent
3: online.
2: So Mark, you're our Google reporter, which Looks like a pretty fun job. It means you get to write about basically everything.
1: Yep. So Google's parent company, which you know is called Alphabet now. They sell phones, they sell laptops, they sell smart speakers, they sell smart thermostats. There's two healthcare companies in there.
2: And you have the drones and the robots and the self-driving cars.: mm-hmm. And but,
1: you, know, despite all this cool futuristic stuff, Alphabet still makes the bulk of its money actually 88 percent last year, from selling ads. That amounts to over $79 billion in 2016. And YouTube, uh, it's really big video site, is one of the fastest growing parts of that business.
2: Thanks to the avalanche that the Times of London set off, the growth of that revenue could be in jeopardy.
1: Now before we get into the thick of this controversy, we should take a step back and explain how YouTube advertising actually works. It doesn't really happen through a traditional sales process in TV where a company would say, we want our ads to run in front of a commercial for Grey's Anatomy.
2: Instead, the brands could target really specific slices of YouTube's viewers. They could say, we want to target men in their 20s who really like NASCAR, or we really want to reach teenage girls who want makeup advice. And to do that on a really big scale, the ad spots are bought and sold through Google's super fast computerized auction system. It all happens automatically.
1: To date, advertisers have pretty much accepted this trade-off. They get all the benefits of running ads with YouTube and its huge audience, and they accept the risk that some of their ads could just show up next to pretty much anything. Which is why, when the Times of London's story first broke, I call around a few advertisers here in the U.S., and a lot of them said the same thing. Why is this new?
2: On Monday, which was a week after all this drama started, we sent our reporter Shelley Hagan to an advertising event in New York. And despite some of the high-profile announcements of advertisers pulling their money from YouTube, a lot of the people she talked to seemed pretty sanguine about it too.
1: Um,
2: I mean, you do a lot of um, algorithmic uh, vetting and uh, curation, but you still have, you know, ads that could turn up, you know, next to offensive content. Uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's always been a problem in UGC uh, media.
1: That's Anna Thomas. I a product marketer at Adobe. And yeah, UGC, that stands for user-generated content, which is what makes up a vast majority of the videos on YouTube. They're videos that are posted by anyone instead of, say, the polished videos that we at Bloomberg would publish. It's what makes YouTube unique and compelling and often kind of strange. It's great for advertisers who want to reach younger audiences who don't watch a lot of traditional TV.
2: And at the same time, we at Bloomberg have all kinds of strict guidelines about what's okay and what's not okay to say. We certainly would never use the kind of epithets that we heard from the pastor earlier in the show, even if we personally believe them, which I must say I do not. But users on YouTube can say pretty much whatever they want. And this means the content's gonna be a lot less predictable. So uh, it's something that ultimately your algorithms get smarter and you can actually prevent that from happening. But um, yeah, I I, I don't see it as a huge deal. Um, And most advertisers are aware of these things. Not everyone agrees with Anna. Right after meeting Anna, Shelley visited a big name in the advertising world. His name's Rob Norman, and he's the Chief Digital Officer at Group M, which is the media buying arm of the ad agency WPP.
3: We've had a lot of conversations with Google in the last couple of weeks, as you might imagine, um, from the people that look after our business on a daily basis up to the most senior commercial levels of Google. And we've listened to their ideas. We put some ideas of our own on the table, and we hope that some of those are implementable in the very near future.
1: It's a big deal when a guy like Rob is this concerned. WPP, his parent company, spent around $5 billion on Google last year, and they
3: plan to spend more this year. For most people, the idea of an ad sitting next to a jihadi video, one incidence of that is once too many. Zero is a good number.
1: We should note that these problems happen pretty rarely. Uh, One agency executive told me that of the more than hundreds of millions of impressions or ads that they serve online, only two landed on what they would call questionable content.
2: And as Rob noted to Shelley, this is not a new problem for Google.
1: Right, so more than a decade ago when it was just a search company, it introduced a system called AdSense. It was an algorithm that scoured texts on the websites to connect them with relevant ads.
2: And we still we still talk about this story, but one time the New York Post ran a story about a gruesome murder where the killer had chopped up the body and stuffed it in a garbage bag.
1: And right next to that story, an ad placed by Google for plastic bags.
2: <laughs> Google has since put quite a bit of effort to curb this problem. It even set up a kind of white glove service called Google Preferred where advertisers pay more to have their ads run on the most popular and what Google says is brand-safe content.
1: But obviously the problem has persisted, and it really reached a flashpoint this past week.
3: Coming up, Google's advertising crisis goes global. Big brands in the U.S. join the U.K. in the backlash over terrorist videos.
1: So AT&T announced it was pulling its ads from YouTube and other Google channels that weren't search. Verizon, Johnson & Johnson quickly followed. Uh, then there were a bunch more. You know, We had reporters call up in Europe and there were brands that pulled their ads. And then Walmart, Disney, Starbucks did the same after reporters showed that their ads were running next to YouTube videos with pretty blatantly racist messages.
2: Here's Rob Norman from Group M again.
3: I think there may be a group of advertisers that decide that YouTube and other forms of user-generated content in particular are simply too hot to handle. I think those that do may withdraw um, over a longer period of time. I think there'll be many others that do come back, but they'll come back when they're satisfied that the controls are in place that lets them believe in the safety of their brands in that environment more than they've been moved to believe in the last few days.
2: us to the question, why now?
1: In part, it's our political climate. Since the U.S. election, big tech companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, have faced a ton of criticism over the content they host, especially those articles with blatant misinformation. You know, the fake news problem.
2: Which we covered on this podcast back in November.
3: And marketers like Rob are really sensitive about this stuff. It's clearly an issue, because as soon as a corporate reputation is damaged by anything. That's a significant issue for that corporation. It's a significant issue also because some of the content would be offensive to almost anyone in America. You
2: know, there's one more factor. There's this kind of growing angst in the advertising world about how much of the market Google and Facebook are eating up.
1: The word I always hear, duopoly.
2: More than 46% of all digital ad sales worldwide last year went to Google and Facebook, according to eMarketer. That share is even higher in the US.
1: A lot of people have told me that the YouTube boycott is a really good chance for advertisers to pile on. After it began, Martin Sorrell, the head of WPP, who's like Rob Norman's super boss, Mm -hmm. sent out a statement blasting Google and Facebook. He said they were, quote, masquerading as technology companies.
2: Martin Sorrell said that these companies place ads, so they should act more like media companies and actually take responsibility for the content that they're hosting, even if they actually didn't make that content themselves.
4: So I think the time has sort of come where the harm has become so salient and so significant that companies are going to, one way or another, they are going to have to start to get control over the really bad things that are happening on their networks.
1: So that sounds an awful lot like Martin
4: Sorrell.
2: But it's actually someone from a very different profession.
4: My name is Hani Farid. I am a professor of computer science at Dartmouth College and a senior advisor to the Counter-Extremism Project.
2: Before he worked on counterterrorism, Hani worked on a different mission. He built algorithms to rid the web of child pornography.
1: So he helped create a technology that extracted unique identifiers on images, what he called a signature And that sticks with them as they move across the internet, even if they're modified.
4: And what that allows us to do is to build up this database of known bad content. In that case, it was child pornography. And then we just sit at the pipe of a Facebook or a Twitter or a Google, and every image that comes in gets scanned and compared against this database of known child pornography. And then anything that is a hit against that database gets flagged, removed, and reported.
1: Similar software runs online for things like detecting spam and viruses.
2: And over the past year, Hani has taken that same framework and applied it to detecting child pornography and content that promotes terrorism. He's also started to move from still images online to audio and video files.
1: Video, it turns out, is much more complicated.
4: And while that sounds like a simple extension, it is turns out to be a very, very difficult engineering task because... Uh, a video, standard video, is 24 still images for every second. So imagine just a three-minute video. You were talking about thousands and thousands of images. And so being able to do that efficiently and accurately um, is very, very challenging engineering problem.
1: Just consider the sheer volume of video that Google has to deal with. Uh, here's Eric Schmidt, the former CEO and now chairman of Alphabet, talking about this on Fox Business last week.
4: YouTube, for example, went from about 100 million hours watched per day to 1 billion hours of YouTube watched globally every day. That's an extraordinary platform and an extraordinary responsibility.
2: Hani, though, says Google has used this as a convenient excuse for not yet solving the problem of offensive
4: content. So first of all, YouTube does a pretty good job of taking down content that are violations of uh, intellectual property and copyrights.
1: That's Google's Content ID program. It's a software system they built that automatically pulls videos that violate copyright claims.
4: They're actually pretty effective at it. And they're effective at it because there's a financial interest for them to do it. Um, they get sued when they don't do it. Uh, and now there's a financial interest for them to eliminate content um, um, based on the advertising uh, problems that they've been seeing over the last few weeks.
1: Three days after the Times of London story came out, Matt Britton, who's Google's top business executive in Europe, was speaking at an ads conference. He was really contrite. He said the company was terribly sorry and that a fix was coming.
2: Later that day, Google laid out some of the fixes. In a blog post, Google promised a slew of new controls for advertisers.
1: Um, Yeah, they'd have more levers to avoid, like, quote-unquote, high-risk content, videos with religious or political themes.
2: The company promised to hire significant numbers of people and develop new AI tools to fix the problems of ads next to questionable content. Soon, Google promised these sorts of incidents would be resolved in less than a few hours.
1: Many people we talked to said that if anybody could do this, it would be Google. They've certainly got a lot of money, and they've been working on this technology for a long time. Our editor,
5: Alistair Barr, talked to this guy over the weekend. I'm Omid Madani. And uh, I work on machine learning, applying machine learning, developing machine learning techniques, currently to security uh, at Cisco. Before that, Omid worked at Google. I was there uh, three years ago, up to three years ago, uh, for three years. So, um, and uh, I was at, in YouTube research. So we were, again, developing machine learning techniques. And uh, the rest of the folks were doing machine learning, uh, visual analysis, audio analysis, speech analysis techniques. Uh, and applying it mostly to YouTube videos. So this was super advanced research.
2: And Omid spent a lot of that time on, (laughs) of all things, video games, like Minecraft.
1: Google's researchers wanted to ensure that the videos uploaded to YouTube were what they claimed to be.
5: So 99 out of 100 videos classified as Minecraft would be indeed Minecraft.
1: Uh, They also did some work on detecting and tagging images inside YouTube videos.
5: Like, look, there's a cat, or that's a blue sky. There are different ways of analysis. Uh, The video gets dissected, or like a surgery, basically. All these channels get dissected.
2: So why would Google invest so much of its research horsepower into this?
5: The better we can tag uh, automatically, the better ads we can put. Recommendation, relevance uh, can get improved. Uh, related uh, videos list on the right side, and so on. In two
2: thousand and twelve, Omid and his colleagues published a research paper showing they had a ninety-nine percent accuracy rate in classifying video content on YouTube.
5: Basically, for the work we had done, not just this, that uh, our team, the YouTube uh, research team, uh, was awarded. For example, we could take vacation together. They went to Hawaii.
2: And Google didn't want to comment for this episode. But Mark, you got your hands on an email the company sent out to some of its advertising agencies last week after the company's initial blog post failed to stem the YouTube boycott.
1: Yep. In that note, Google gave a few more details about the new capabilities its policies could bring.
2: Here's one example. Under its old policies, Google would have allowed advertising if someone in a YouTube video was wearing a T-shirt with, let's say, offensive language or an offensive slogan.
1: Under the new policies, it would disable ads. Some of the experts we talked to said this is not an easy fix to implement. Uh, Here's Hani Fareed, the Dartmouth professor.
4: The, the the tools that we have developed, what are generally called robust hashing, um, don't go after content like, oh, I've seen this uh, flag or this logo or this symbol in the, somewhere in the image. It goes after this is the same image that I've seen before. This is the same video, the same audio recording. So it's very, very specific. So the good news about that is that um, we can find that content extremely efficiently and very accurately. And when I say accurately, I mean we can work at Internet scale with billions of uploads a day and make very, very few mistakes. And that's really good because that means you can fully automate the system.
2: So this works for things that have already been flagged as inappropriate content, like let's say a particular clip of child pornography gets taken down but gets re-uploaded to the Internet a couple days later. What gets tricky is when a computer sees something entirely new, something that hasn't been tagged yet as appropriate or inappropriate.
4: And while there is technology to do that, that technology is not good enough to work fully automatically, extremely efficiently with no human intervention. And what I mean by that is that it will inevitably make mistakes, and it will make two types of mistakes. It will allow things to go through that you don't want to. Um, Maybe we tolerate that, but more troublingly, it will filter out things that you don't want it to filter out. So without human intervention, that technology today um, does not work at scale, at Internet scale.
1: So Google's one of many companies working on an AI approach called deep learning, uh, which is more or less a system where algorithms sort of teach themselves. So Google's researchers once fed a ton of videos of cats to a computer without telling the computer what a cat was. Over time, the computers basically learned to identify, look, there's a cat. And they could, in theory, do the same thing with a Nazi flag or another hate symbol.
2: Our editor, Alistair, also spoke to another researcher who's worked on these problems extensively.
0: I'm Jebo Luo. I'm a uh, professor of uh, computer science at the University of Rochester.
2: Jebo worked on developing AI systems that could detect hate messages on social media like Facebook and Twitter.
1: Yeah, he also uses AI tools for other ends.
0: Uh, So we have used social media to, uh, for example... Uh, analyze the progress of the presidential election and many of our findings help to explain why Trump won the election. And we also use social media to track uh, underage drinking problem, which is a big problem in the United States. Uh, we also use Instagram to track drug use and drug dealers, And this was actually in collaboration with uh, the New York State Attorney General's office.
1: His research also used advanced AI to comb through Instagram, looking for things like weed and pills, even bongs.
2: Pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, and a little creepy.
2: But Jeebui said that video presents a far greater obstacle for AI researchers.
0: So a video is not just a a bunch of uh, individual frames. Uh, when you watch a video, um, the most important aspect or unique aspect of video is the motion aspect. So things move, people move that requires, um, motion based analytical methods to, uh, for example, understand the, the, the changing expression on a person's face or an action performed by a person. Uh, or, uh, you know, something like an explosion or, uh, you know, people fighting each other. It's a challenge.
1: So it's a big challenge for Google because it has YouTube. Um, but Facebook and Twitter and other companies are also pouring a lot of resources into online video. And Facebook and Twitter are also doing live video, which is, has its own sets of challenges.
2: Right. So that's one challenge, figuring out what's inside a video. But still, Google's algorithms are getting pretty good at that. Here's an even thornier problem.
1: How do you make judgments about the gray areas, whether a video is outright offensive or hate speech or incendiary?
2: Google has typically tried to steer clear of that. Omid said his research team at YouTube didn't spend a lot of time trying to classify political videos.
1: Because that puts Google into an uncomfortable position, right? Of making editorial judgments. Google thinks of YouTube like online search. It's just search for video. If it curates that, it can't be this objective, neutral technology platform where all information is free.
2: Few advertisers, if any, would want to run ads in front of that kind of video that we watched earlier with a <laughs> screaming pastor putting down gay people.
1: Right. But but some online news services, like maybe Vice News or even like CBS, might want to run a a news segment on that, that pastor. And advertisers probably want to run ads on that. So remember the note we told you that Google sent out to advertisers?
2: In that, Google said that there were 48 videos flagged as offensive by the Times and other papers. 44 of them would immediately disable ads under the new policies.
1: But the other four could still show ads. Google had decided that these videos didn't violate their terms of service. Still, with the new controls, advertisers would have clearer options for opting out of videos like this.
2: Here's one of those four. It out with a prayer in Arabic, asking God to have mercy upon the soul of martyrs. And then it transitions into a song. The language is pretty graphic. You'll hear phrases like, We'll wage wars against them. We'll return the raped truth. We won't accept any occupied land. The ground will erupt and burn them. We'll liberate Al-Quds. And Al-Quds, for our listeners who don't know, is the Arabic name for the city of Jerusalem.
1: Okay, so it's clear that this is about the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Um, You know, it's pretty graphic language, like we said, with a lot of metaphors to violence.
2: When we loaded this video, as of taping this episode on Wednesday, we saw an ad roll in for Samsung's new Galaxy phone.
1: Probably not something Samsung might have picked on its own. But the video is popular. Uh, Right now it has over more than half a million views.
2: With its new policies, once they're implemented... Google said advertisers like Samsung will be able to opt out from this sort of video. They could check off a box that says no ads on political or religious content. But it still begs the question, why doesn't Google just disable ads from videos like these altogether?
1: So I checked with Google on this, and they have a policy where they don't comment on individual videos. But here's a hunch. The words in the video are pretty intense, but Google may have decided that it didn't cross over the line into hate speech or a specific attack on a group of people. you know, It could be interpreted as a religious song, and Google just doesn't really want to filter religious songs from YouTube ads.
2: It goes to show how difficult it is for software alone to be making all these decisions. You really do need a human to be making the call on some of these trickier videos.
4: Here's what Hani, the Dartmouth professor, told me. So it's really a question of how much you want to automate these things. The fully automatic things, we are not there where we can just say, hey, the, th- find all the extremist content. It, machine learning, artificial intelligence is nowhere even near that. Don't believe the hype.
1: <laughs> so I showed Hani the video with the prayer and the song after we had our initial conversation. And he wrote back and said to him the language sounded like an explicit call to violence. But he said that his work focuses on removing content that violates the terms of service of companies like Google and Facebook. And it's up to Google to set their own terms of service. And it's an example of how humans often disagree about what's offensive.
2: Omid Madani, the AI researcher who used to work at YouTube and now works at Cisco, he agreed that humans play a really important role here, too. He said that letting people look at the end result of what a computer filters would help reduce errors.
5: He did have a caveat, though. Obviously, humans don't scale. We need maybe an army of editors to look at things and eventually to decide whether it's an appropriate video or not.
1: As an aside, humans don't scale might be the most googly comment I've ever heard.
2: Facebook pointed to a similar defense for its inability to curb fake news. But after that controversy in the fall, Facebook decided to team up with third-party fact-checking websites, which employ human editors... And when those fact checkers say that a particular piece of content could be dubious, Facebook flags those stories as potentially incorrect.
1: The technology we have today for all its advances still isn't good enough to offer a perfect solution.
2: And Google, which is typically not shy to make lofty promises, didn't want to commit to a total fix in its note google said its new fixes would go a long way in ensuring brands like l'oreal that it would never get a call like it did from the times other week but google said that could never be a hundred percent guaranteed
1: right and professor luo the uh, ai researcher we talked to earlier he agreed
0: uh, whether it's through human intelligence or artificial intelligence. We are never going to achieve 100% recognition rate on anything. Uh, So uh, for someone to come out to say, we'll guarantee you we will get rid of all all the hate messages or hate videos, that's irresponsible.
2: And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening.
1: Tell us what you thought of the show. You can write to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. You can find me on Twitter free of hate speech. I'm at (laughs) MH Bergen.
2: And I'm at Aki Ito 7. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a rating and a review. I read each and every one of these reviews and they help us make our show better and it helps put our show in front of more listeners.
1: This episode was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Hendrickson. A very, very special thanks to our reporter, Shelley Hagan, and our great editor, Alistair Barr, for their reporting and research for the show. Alec McCabe is head of podcasts. We'll see you next week.